responsible, you know, because like if we're asking them the question that they probably need to be prepared to, 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 to make some research, not just, you know, to talk for the, for the talk. Uh, so yeah, I can imagine that. That's exactly right. Um, so, so I think developers are more conscientious than recruiters are um, because they like to be prepared, like to not say things speculatively um, and actually have confidence in the argument and all those types of things. Uh, whereas recruiters tend to just shoot from their mouth a bit. Um, uh, you're a little bit more prepared to just, yeah, I'll, I'll say this and see what happens. Uh, so there's different characters, right? Different characters, even though... Um, we occasionally get people who move from one to the other. Um, and in fact, if we can get Ivan on today, he, he's an example of that. Um, the person who's ex-developer turned into a recruiter. Um, and I'm pretty certain there's recruiters that have gone into development. Although I, right now, I can't quite recall anybody who's actually made that journey. Um, but yeah, have a think if you can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know a few people, actually... yeah. Yeah, a few people just moved to uh, completely to software engineering and enjoying it. Have they have they stuck with it though? It's all right, just like get doing a course and doing it. But have they actually become professional software developers as a result of that transition? Uh, I'm I'm not so sure. I think it's easier the other way to do the, to do it the other way. Um, simply it's because easier. you might just need a mega network um, and that will already sort half the problems out. Um, anyway, folks, we are live, everybody. Welcome to Brain Food Live on Air. It's bringing it to you. It is episode 199. Would you believe it? We're nearly at our second centenary. How would you even call it? It's not bicentenary, is it? Whatever it is, 200 episodes, nearly there, folks. Um, so thank you all for joining us and joining us on this journey. It's obviously been four or five years since we've been doing this live stream. I hope you've been getting value from it. Um, I've been getting messages from people sort of uh, when I posted about the schedule uh, this month. They're saying, yeah, I really look forward to ending my week with Brain Food Live. So if this is going to be the end of your week so, so you can finish working at three or four in the afternoon, then great. Uh, this is how we want to do it. Um, so listen, let's do some sound checks first of all. Make sure everyone can hear me okay. Uh, folks uh, on Crowdcast, if you can hear me okay, just let me know on the chat there whether the audio and the video is okay. So you should see me on one side of the screen and also Ala Pavlova on the other. Um, and you should be able to hear us both. Let me know if that's the case. Um, we are live streaming this, folks, everywhere. Um, as uh, Everywhere I can, I, where I can put it. Um, but most importantly on LinkedIn. So if you're watching this on the LinkedIn event, uh, let me know on the comment there whether the audio and video is okay. Um, I think generally speaking, those are the two biggest channels where we get, you know, probably a couple hundred people uh, sort of in total, probably a few hundred actually will end up watching it uh, from there. So uh, so good stuff. All right, people can see, seemingly hear me from here, which is great. I love that someone's actually represented Datadog. I, I love it when an individual person signs up as an entire company, <laughs> as, if, as, if, as, if, as if you have the right to do that. But okay, you're representing Datadog all the way through here. Um, okay, cool. Um, let's, do, let's do a quick word to our sponsors. Thank you to our sponsors this week. Guess who it is? It is our friends at Code Signal. Do you know Code Signal, folks? Uh, they're one of the premier software technical testing uh, platforms out there. Um, I think they may be number one these days in terms of numbers of developers, numbers of tests that they're being used. Um, set up by a really cool guy um, from uh, Armenia, Tigran Sloyan. Uh, he, uh, I, I invited him to come on to do, sort of do the sponsor message. However, he is in San Francisco and he can't do it. Um, so it's up to me to deliver it. But 
if you are looking to hire software engineers, of course you need to technically assess. I don't think anybody has a problem with that. Software engineers themselves would anticipate a test some way in the process. And let's not forget, these days with generative AI, chat GPT, you can no longer send anybody an asynchronous DIY test and expect a result that you can trust. Um, so you need to use a software platform these days. Companies like CodeSignal, I think, are going to be in really, really good shape for that reason. For remote working, number one, and number two, to validate that the test is actually performed by the person who's doing it uh, without the support uh, of artificial intelligence. So anyway, I've just shared the link to CodeSignal there. Go and check it out if you're hiring for software engineers and you're not using any testing uh, or, or assessment software. Got to choose one of those. Okay, get into it. Um, okay, let's um, let's welcome Ala Pavlova back on the show. Ala, great to see you. It's always a pleasure. Um, how have you been? What are you? What have you been up to? Yeah, thank you so much. Also, a great pleasure. I was uh, taking a short break, and uh, yeah, so uh, super happy to uh, come back on the shows and on the events. Uh, yeah, my name is Ala. I'm based in Amsterdam. I'm a huge fan of everything that is happening in software engineers' life. I'm married to one. I have friends. Uh, I, I, I go to the uh, developers' conference. I give talks to developers. I ask them for feedback. So for me, uh, this type of um, uh, shows are so important that we can learn from each other. So excited. Amazing. And we're going to be catching up in Berlin in a couple of months, aren't we? Because we are both going to the We Are Developers Conference um, in July, I think. So why don't, you share, why don't you share the link in the chat stream there? Folks, I know most people who watch this are going to be recruiters, but and I'm a big evangelist for people going on to industry events. Definitely get yourself to recruitment events, of course. But you know what? Sometimes you need to get yourself to events from outside of our space. And particularly if you're recruiting for tech, definitely get involved with something like this um uh, it's is it's, it's going to be i don't know how many people it's at the biggest developer conference in yeah. europe i believe um, it's like 9000s last year i think it was so it was really huge yeah so 9000 people i think tim berners lee is going to give the keynote it's going to be great Allah's going to be on stage doing something i'm going to do be doing a fireside chat also come and join us in berlin it's going to be great um Okay, let's get on with, actually, we should review the newsletter real quick. I'm not sure whether you had the chance to read it at all, um, but if you did, uh, let's pick out a couple of things that you want to just quickly highlight and discuss. Always, always. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you think that's uh, really uh, catch my eye, one of them is, of course, uh, dedicated to the topic that we have today is about uh, uh, planned uh, meta layoffs. Um, it is something that's uh, touched me a lot because uh, you you know, people who work there and then you receive the message from your friends, uh, hey, uh, there is an announcement of another bunch of layoffs and um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be there. And I think this uncertainty that if you're going to be laid off or like if it's going to happen with your friends um, then you have to wait for it, um, it's, it creates such a... Uh, like unpleasant uh, feeling for everyone and uh, I hear more and more in my network as well um, that people who dream to work in the companies like Google like Meta and Amazon so they say mm, is it so that these companies are at the biggest risks uh, compared to others so probably I should not go to the top five companies anymore so that's um Interesting reversal, right? Interesting reversal. I wonder whether developers have that feeling. We're definitely going to ask, because this show is going to be all about bringing developers on. We're going to ask them directly, like, has it changed your opinion as to these big, you know, the fan companies? 
uh, previously the, the ones that everyone wanted to join for the compensation, for the stock options, for the career development, for the uh, for the cachet even. Um, but has that cachet worn off? I mean, with all of these like uh, round after round of, of, of redundancies and a sense, uh, you know, that maybe they're building a little bit in the past um, when you've got younger companies where you can get a little bit more involved and what have you. So have they become more competitive compared to, you know, previously uh, Meta, Google, et cetera, you wouldn't even be able to compete with them. They typically only compete with themselves. Um, anyway, I've just shared the link that Ala was referring to there. That's a really good blog post, by the way. Um, I think that person was actually talking about um, not only the layoffs, but also the flattening of the Meta company structure and the concept that actually even the managers, the engineering managers that are staying within the company, um, they're being told, it, very similar to, uh, to Elon Musk in Twitter, they're being told, actually, you got to keep coding uh, because we don't want anybody managing. So I wonder whether there's going to be kind of a, a shift in terms of what the managerial role is going to be. Uh, and again, something worth asking our developer friends about, you know, uh, do you prefer to work with a manager that also codes um or is that a problem um or do you prefer a completely hands-free manager um and you do the coding uh because it seems that in, in the direction of travel is we're going to get more like um contributor managers now going forward um okay um uh, give us a couple more uh Allah. yeah sure one of uh, the really really interesting reads uh, as well who uh, becomes an entrepreneur so this is a really interesting read because I became an entrepreneur in 2015 and I didn't know anything about it. So you just start and you just go with it. So I think this article is amazing in terms of like the things that you have to think. For example, mental health issues uh, run in the family. And this is kind of things that's um, uh, like, you know, uh, like looking back at your family, uh, you're thinking like, you know, so, so is it something that you um, like a family trace uh, also like being in the past of the entrepreneurships, like uh, what? like are you well-rounded for this type of the jobs um so the the, the background that you have to start uh, to become the um the entrepreneur is very important and so we have to like i didn't know as well that there are different types of the entrepreneurs so i also considered myself like as a generalist like the, the someone who takes like a lot of things uh, but um yeah it's it's really interesting reads in terms of like giving some nice data um explaining the importance of being in the, as a part of the community um yeah so just really 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 recommend uh, to read this one i really like this because it basically breaks down personas of entrepreneurs so they did a lot of like meta studies on uh, who was an entrepreneur and then try and figure out what their background was and they just put like pretty broad brushes um in, in terms of what it is and there's some really fascinating ideas there um like for instance um a common path to be an entrepreneur is someone who is a uh, kind of a mature pro so someone who basically multi-job um got to about 40 and thought right I got to be my own boss, but you've got lots of different sort of uh, uh, experiences that you can bring to an entrepreneurial path. I think that's quite common in recruitment. You know, if you set up a company by yourself, probably you're not doing that as the first thing you've ever done in recruiting. Um, but maybe it's the third thing you've done in recruiting. Um, you become an independent person. Um, and then you have things like childhood trauma. Um, you know, strangely enough, like someone who um, I, I think they did again a broad study of of a famine i think um and they found that actually people who um had experience of childhood trauma of that type end up just having a sense of look i've all i've lost everything already before um therefore their sense of risk tolerance is a lot higher because they've already experienced far worse in setting up a business uh you know so um there's that concept 
um, uh, applied to it as well. And quite right, Bob, yeah, 51. I think they, their number was 42.9 or something. So the average age for, for an entrepreneur is actually that uh, sort of early 40s. Um, but anyway, really worth a read. I think for two reasons. Number one, recruiters are often told to hire for entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so can can we use this if we're looking for candidates? You know, uh, we want an entrepreneurial mindset. Great. Perhaps we can use this as some sort of guide um, or at least to help us shape some questions there. Um, and secondly, hey, um, everyone needs to think about, uh, uh, you know, lots of us are thinking about maybe it is time to, uh, to set up your own business, in which case uh, some of these sort of uh, 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 categories, I think, will give you some inspiration. Um, OK, cool. Give us one more, Allah, before we get into this show. Yeah. A last one. So I haven't finished reading that yet. Uh, it's the one about the GPTs, our GPTs, an early look into the labor market impact potentially of the large language models. So this is um, like, I believe that this is like a big research, right, from the university. And uh, like, it's a very recent one. Um, I just wanted to thank you, Han, for providing that so fast to read, because this is something like more um, in a way, um, like reminds uh, of the years when I did like uh, my PhD, this kind of things. So um, it's it's inevitable that it's influencing in the market. But uh, yeah, I'm very curious to to learn like a little bit more about uh, what this research is ha has for us. I didn't realize you did a PhD, Ala. Um, uh, yeah. So, so how, how come I never knew this? I never possibly didn't even read your uh, your, your, your CV ever. Profile, what you, <laughs> exactly. What, what did you do your PhD in? A PhD in law. So yeah, I was really? uh, kind of fighting for the constitutional rights. Uh, so yeah. Oh. Right, Dr. Ala Pavlova, who would have thought? Uh, crikey. Uh, well, listen, I'm pleased we haven't lost you to the world of law. Um, that would be a tragedy. But no, folks, this is actually a really interesting bit of research. I think a lot of people are already citing it. Um, I do believe it's one of those things that we should download and take a look at. It's essentially trying to examine the types of work that they feel are highly exposed to generative AI. Um, and what's very, very interesting for us is that from their estimation, they're looking at um, what are, what are high barrier to entry jobs, completely counterintuitively, are actually the jobs that are most highly exposed. So I think we are at the risk of confusing or reversing the confusion between AI and automation here. I remember when automation was coming in a couple of years ago and everyone said, oh, that's the AI. And then we were all disappointed it was not speaking to us. Therefore, it must be all, all rubbish. Um, I think we're, we're at risk of reversing it here in the sense that we think that, oh, um, this AI that we're now seeing is just automation. That's not a problem. Actually, it is a problem because if you are in a knowledge intensive uh, job and your job actually involves you doing loads of training and loads of education, et cetera, et cetera, that's your primary value. Generative AI has you right in the crosshairs. Um, so in other words, a doctor is in more higher risk of being disintermediated than a nurse. Uh, why? Because the doctor's primary value is be able to analyze a, a case, um, diagnose it and say, hey, here's what you should do. Nurse's job is to basically provide customer care for the, can for the, for the candidate, but for the, for the patient. Um, now you think about how generative AI can apply to either of those spaces, it's going to apply a lot more easily to the high knowledge, high barrier to entry job. We're about to flip what's important in society, folks. Um, so this uh, research 
is, I think, something everyone should read. Uh, it is an academic text, so it's not going to be one of these pop site, easy readable stuff. But it is accessible enough if you want to just like grind through it. And of course, you can just copy and paste it and ask ChatGPT to summarize it for you if you wanted to. Uh, but I think when people talk about, oh, the research says this, it'll be referring to this paper. So make sure you have a hold of it and you can refer to it back in the past, uh, sort of in, in, in the future case. Okay, let's get on with this chat. Um, the topic of conversation today is tech layoffs and the tech labor market from the developer's point of view. Now, folks, all of us here, generally speaking, are recruiters. Most of us are anyway. A lot of us recruit in tech. We have had the conversation in amongst ourselves as to what's going on. We've seen the layoffs. We've seen candidates being laid off. We've, we've kind of experienced it ourselves as job seekers and so on. But what are the developers themselves talking about? What are they thinking? How are they feeling? Uh, is, the, is the doom is the doomering type of attitudes that recruiters have, is that reflected in what developers are actually feeling in the market? Um, because I think that voice hasn't been heard yet. So that's the purpose of today's show. And we're going to, we're going to dive into it in a sec. Um, okay, folks, by the way, Tom, I totally get it. Uh, there's basically a time zone snafu. I am actually going to blame just generally moving time. I, I, I don't feel responsible for this mistake at all i did not make a mistake don't move the bloody hours you know what why are you doing that that's crazy uh stop doing it world let's just keep to a single time please but anyway yeah that's why some people have this in the in the in the calendar about half an hour later or an hour later uh, anyway we've got people watching this in any case so let's get on with it um ask you a quick question you are actually married to a software engineer Allah. how have you kind of felt what, what is the conversation different between tech recruiters when, when we talk about where the tech market is like compared to the conversations your your, your husband is having and, and what, what are you getting from him basically uh from him and from friends because they all like we have a big chat where all the developers are and i'm like a fox sitting and looking what they're discussing <laughs> as well um to be honest uh it's absolutely no panic uh there are discussions like uh i'm gonna open my linkedin and i'm gonna look into people into recruiters who reach out to me recently or like some time ago and i'm gonna see what are the companies uh having right now um it feels like um uh, there uh there is no stress in a way uh more like I'm going to find something else I'm going to look into uh, to the market. It's, it's, it's different from what the recruiters uh, having because they know that so the opportunities for them are quite limited because if every company is reducing the number of people, um, uh, the first uh, people who are really suffer are the recruiters. So that's why we don't have this probably uh, confidence that um, it's going to take like a few weeks or something to find something new. So uh, the conversations, um, it's... Um, uh, it's okay. I'm going to look into my network. And the second one is um, I'm probably not going to go uh, to the same tier company, uh, meaning mm. so the companies that are also about to lay off uh, same, same, in the same situation. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, the sense is far calmer than the conversation we're having in, in recruiting because basically we're, we're, we're kind of feeling, oh, my God, all these companies are stopping to hire. Our, our jobs are under pressure, et cetera. Developers seem to be, you know, feeling generally okay. Um, and actually, the layoff track is really, really interesting. There's also a number of ones out there that are really quite uh, worth keeping an eye on. I think overall, VC-backed technology uh, companies have let go something like 250,000 people, I think, over the last 12 months. Um, now, that seems like a lot. Um, but if you examine the types of people that are being let go within that cohort, generally speaking, it isn't heavily, uh, it's disproportionately not 
software engineers. Um, so what's been let go, uh, if you like, the other peripheral functions, um, marketing, HR, uh, some sales, and of course, recruiting, um, uh, that those are the functions that are basically being hammered. Um, so I can understand how developers might feel differently because even though a redundancy has occurred uh, within business, they, they generally haven't been affected. Um, anyway, let's bring on some of our developer friends and we'll figure out what it is. Now, there's lots of our uh, mates out there, so we're going to have to do it, I think, in like ice hockey style, you know, in and out lines. So right now, in the start i'm going to try and bring in the developer friends i know that are more on the contract side um so these are the people that generally don't work permanently but they work contract to contract and they you know what is that market looking like what's the liquidity looking like in there so let's see whether yeah. we can get some of these guys on board um so we'll go i think ollie's here did i see ollie i did there's only one ollie it's got to be him um let's try tank that's interesting because yeah like uh, contracting is also one of the first to be affected when the things uh, really go different on the market right that's what you would that, curious, that's what yeah. you should imagine because when cuts are happening the easiest people to cut are actually people that are not on the payroll um and maybe they're always the invisible redundancies because you wouldn't announce that you wouldn't announce it into the crowd if you just got rid of your contractors you just do it um so uh so there anyway let's do some intros there's there's ollie ollie good to see you um can i can you quickly introduce yourself who are you what it is you do hello hun good to see you too yes i work as a data science data engineering contractor mostly with vc backed startups fantastic stuff we see tank there looking actually quite clean for once um so tank good to see you uh can you quickly introduce yourself who are you what it is you do you're on mute by the way god uh hi i'm Tank. i'm uh yeah uh front-end developer uh spent 12 years in london uh in all sorts of situations and now i'm in barcelona but you cannot see the sunshine because i'm in a window with, um in a room with no windows so yeah there he is and by the way tank has just arrived in barcelona so if you're in barcelona and you want to you want to say hello and make a friend go and reach out to tank um he is a, he's a great dude um okay and we have simon hammond there as well simon we had lunch yesterday so great to see you um can you quickly introduce yourself who are you what it is you do yeah i'm simon hammond um i'm a freelance data scientist uh mainly working in the recruitment sector i've been working in the recruitment sector kind of for 10 years so i have kind of an in-depth thing um just contracting um doing it quite lightly at the moment because i'm kind of digital nomading as well so kind of trying to balance the kind of whole life work thing as well, but uh, having having fun and exploring AI again. Fantastic stuff. Um, okay, so just here, hearing from Alice's perspective, um, the conversations, the recruiters are all panicking, right? Recruiters are all thinking, oh my goodness, the, the, the world has fallen in. Um, and according to her husband and the, and the company, sort of the people that she's kind of listed, the community she's listening to, it seems that developers are generally still quite calm. Is that your sense of the thing? Um, having just spoke to your mates about what the what, what it's looking like and what have you, when you're talking to your friends about what the labor market's like, what's generally the sentiment? Uh, your thoughts on this? Um, how about we go with you first, uh, Ollie? Hey, sure. I would say um, I partly look at sentiment, but I look at data, as you as you might imagine. And I can share a few data points with you, which are the ones that I'm looking at, which is where my, my thinking is coming from. So the big one, I think there's been a huge downturn in the amount of uh, VC investment 
There's a report from Bain that came out March 2nd, said that there's been a drop globally from 200 billion to 100 billion, which is that's absolutely massive, isn't it? It's a 50% drop. However, if you look back over the years before that, that just takes us back to where we were in 2020. So a different way of thinking about this, yes, we are dropping, but we're just going back to what we had roughly pre-pandemic. And I see the same trend if I look at other data sources. So um, the other big one I use, the venerable IT Jobs Watch, which I imagine you and your audience know. If you look on there for software engineering and data engineering, two of the top titles, two that are very relevant for me, you can, uh, it's got all these filters on it. You can look at the last six months, this year, last year, year before. You see a very similar pattern. The number of vacancies now in the last six months is pretty much the same as it was the year before last. Last year, it was huge. Loads of money around that huge amount of VC investment, uh, these really big numbers. So when I look at those two, the total investment going in and then how that's playing out in terms of recruitment, um, I feel okay. Yes, it's a big drop, but it only seems to be taking us back to what was quite a nice market uh, to begin with. Yeah, very, very good analysis, um, Ollie. Um, so what you're seeing from, from the analysis you've seen, you, you've, you, you've looked at, is essentially that last year was just a, 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 a bizarrely plus-plus year in the sense that it caused all of our expectations to elevate. Um, and of course, that's course-corrected really quite sharply back. Um, but if we just recall a year before, or even that little period beforehand, it's kind of settled to a normal state um, as it was. How has that influenced your approach to, or has it at all? I mean, how has, has this research affected your behavior as a individual that looks for contracts? Well, it's reassuring to see that because of course it's unsettling to get less emails coming in and to, to see less activity. And you know, on a personal level, I am seeing less activity, but I don't want to take that signal as, as all there is. I want to try and put it in context. So putting it in context like this really helps. Um, and that's, that's one reason I feel calm, but then the other thing a bit more, a bit more locally, we're in a quiet time of year. Uh, the new financial year begins early April for most companies. So typically as a contractor, there just aren't nearly as many contracts uh, going between say December and April. So it's a quieter year than last year. We're at the pretty much the quietest time of the year, 31st of March, we're just before the new financial year starts. So I am seeing less activity in my inbox compared to last year, but you know, I don't see a bigger reason to be too concerned about that. That seems ordinary given the situation we're in. There you go, folks. A very mature way to address the alarmism in the world. Do some research, check out what the context is, make a cup of tea, be very happy with yourself. Oh, by the way, Ollie, Ollie's kind of let slip there. He, he was actually monitoring in, in mail activity. So, hey, what does that tell you? Recruiters don't hesitate sending in mails. You know, developers actually might like this, even though they never respond. Um, it's a signal of interest. Um, okay, let's go to let's go to you, Tank. Um, Tank, I hope you don't mind me saying, but obviously, you know, we're friends and we, we, we I'm, I'm aware of your. Uh, your situation recently, moving to different places, and also looking for work. Also, um, what's what, what, what? How? What? Can you give us some commentary as to your own experience as to what the job market has been like over the last, you know, three, four, four weeks? I guess the last time you've been looking for work, has there been more calls? Has there been 
greater scrutiny from employers, uh, or has it just generally been as it was? I mean, have you just floated through? Uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, it's, it's pretty hard for me to say because um, I, I have a tendency of not, not doing very well when I walk through the front door, uh, part because I'm weird and part because I'm terrible at interviewing. So I always end up finding like jobs through my network and people I worked with. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's been similar uh, to other times. And also I tend to leave a job, a full-time employment in the middle of a crisis. I like to respond to chaos with chaos and to order with chaos as well. Um, so yeah, I left my job and then I panicked for a few weeks and it seemed like not much was happening. Then uh, I went through my network and I got a job. So it's very hard for me to say. It looks like there's there's a lot out there still, um, a lot of small companies, uh, which is what interests me. There's small things, mm -hmm. but it, it's not, I think, um, in the in 2014-15 there was like a lot more interesting uh things to go around and generally the the offering especially in in london probably became a bit less interesting that's that's the only difference i can see but from the layoffs i don't know i'm not interested in large companies no but i get it tank that's, that's what's, what's interesting there is i mean i do think that people's senses of uh, is important. I mean, I, I take Ollie's point that of course you should do some analysis, but at the same time, the, just the, the, the feeling is important. Um, and it, it's interesting to say that, you know, the, the way in which a lot of developers do get work is through the informal networks. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a published job. It's you just have a chat, drop a message in, say, hey, listen, I'm looking. Suddenly certain messages start coming into your inbox that are not from recruiters, but are from, hiring managers from founders from other developers etc and then through that dialogue you're able to uh, to move it further forward I, I love by the way that ivan like defaults to, to caps lock when he's on chat um i mean I, it, it could it could just be shouting all the time i don't know but it's Nobody like, does okay. the same in real life doesn't it <laughs> i think it's the same no but it basically from what i'm getting from you tang is that that informal network is still robust and it's still translating into opportunity which you've converted um, and it's almost like that, uh, you know, like a guerrilla supply chain um, that's out there that isn't visible to the uh, uh, to the mass media, but it's still a very, very powerful way in which people get work. Um, so very, very interesting uh, too. Go ahead. I want, I want to say though as well that most of the uh, small companies I talk to, uh, you know, they, they, they got funded right before the apocalypse. So uh you know in the same way you still see so much just insane money to go around in i don't know web uh, 3.0 port portfolio companies which does like a hundred of the same products uh, you know presenting your nfts and uh, you know the salaries in crypto are insane but i think that's also due to just leftover money from previous rounds like this will good point. sort of good be point. more stay in a few months we'll see basically when when all the money is spent um whether whether it keeps going this strong you know that's a good point like what is the runway um so when money gets invested there is a surge of hiring um in fact i, I think i met all of you during sort of the post funding type of stage of startups um so uh, uh so, so that experience i think is still there um, however, that money doesn't just disappear immediately. There's still a run rate. And of course, people will be more parsimonious. But in large part, that funding is still about recruiting. 
um, and it's still about recruiting engineers. Um, I mean, it's categorized into product building or R&D, but it's a human being that they're bringing in to do that. Um, so, so yeah, good point. Um, you know, maybe 5 million uh, quid doesn't disappear within a year. It needs to uh, have, a, have a, a, a time before it actually goes and disappears. Okay, let's go to you, Sai. Um, you've been floating around, as you mentioned, uh, as a false I know. Um, uh, but you've been, like, what have you seen? Uh, give us an update on how that inbox is. It still getting hammered, or is it, you know, a bit quieter? Uh, what's going on? I don't know. I've got the filters set up pretty effectively, but uh, I mean, my my approach is, I, I like like Tang says, I kind of lean towards the the social network as well to kind of act as a filter. I think I, I kind of got to. Some something I've learned maybe as I get older and I get crankier is that I I get more picky about the people that I work with so I kind of like, want to work with the people that I like working with and so the social network is kind of good for that. Um, also, I think just in terms of obviously there's some seismic changes happening in the industry at the moment and it's still shaking out. There's still the the the, the consequences of people working through COVID and reevaluating reevaluating the stuff that they want to work on and you know what is going to be the effect of AI um, at the moment the the whole GTP thing is you know something that people are adjusting to working out what how their job is going to be working probably they're already using it as part of their job and so just becoming proficient in that is a career move in itself uh, so that that's kind of my focus but yeah I think the there's still this the interest is still there um, but um, it, it, it also depends on how visible you make yourselves. And I, I really don't make myself very visible. <laughs> so I am mm. the crappiest self-promoter out there. But I think that's generally true for most devs, though. And I hope people don't take that inoffensively. But it's it's kind of unusual for a developer to, to particularly be good um, as a promoter or a self-promoter. I think there's a, there's a, there's a value clash there. Um, I mean, you can do it in community, so to speak, by, you know, doing a lot on open source and github and those types of places but then it's more like developers just like uh say say giving praise to developers and it, it needs to escape into the different parts of the world that actually or different parts of the industry that actually may have access to the opportunities um and yeah probably developers could improve on that side uh, of things maybe that's something that recruiters can help with who knows um because i think recruiters on the other side probably over promote somewhat um and uh and uh you, you know that that in itself probably is something we could tone down some uh, to, to a degree yep open question to the three of you what is the situation about money and rates and stuff like that um i think and this is my perception in the, the year where we had like 200 million billion uh investment the rates just went like sky high everyone was just getting uh uplift 25 30 percent even more on what they were getting previous and in fact, people were attacking the market with that mindset uh, to say, I'm going to make hay while the sun shines. Now, are you seeing that we, uh, developers have maintained the 2021 uh, ceiling in terms of what they were expecting to get and what they were getting? Or how, are we compromising a little bit and recognizing actually world's changed? We're back to 2020 or even earlier. We're going to bring back down our expectations in terms of the contract rate or perm salary. Open question to anybody. What are your thoughts? I think, I mean, I have very, very small sample size, but I've seen rates pretty much stay stay high, if not even incrementally increase. But maybe that's just the, the area I work in and the connections I have. Yep. So you're not seeing any like sense that 
let's say you're on 100 units a year ago and now someone's asking you to take 80 units you're not seeing that um it's still it's still at a high uh, number uh yeah i mean this this is just my own negotiations and often that's just with repeat repeat clients just coming back mm. with slightly different projects so uh they maybe the trust is an element in there as well yeah interesting how about you guys what are your thoughts ollie and tank where we're at money wise have we maintained the heights or we as kind of post peak and start trending down i've uh, i've seen rates stay about the same same level uh it's tricky and, and like you're saying si, there's a small sample size here there's always been people who've offered lower rates um, I saw a, a contract offered the other day for £250 a day for uh, data engineering, which just in any market, I'm not sure when that was ever a, a good rate that someone would consider. So it's hard to know. Though. I'm not seeing so many that I could tell you there was a trend one way or the other, but I am seeing a good enough amount which are maintaining the levels from last year. Yeah, so maybe the volume of opportunities naturally decreased somewhat, but the, it hasn't necessarily, at this point uh, at least, not affected the rate. By the way, it, it is very hard for employers to push it down, by the way, because there's strong resistance from uh, companies and, and sorry, from, from candidates, of course, to, to, to maintain what they uh, think that they're worth. So uh, that's a very difficult thing for employers to do. So it doesn't surprise me we're hearing that. Tank, have you got any observations to share on the on the the rate and the salary side of it well yeah again it's not um i you know i don't have visibility over everything <laughs> not a lot but uh surely if they didn't go up 15 percent, then they effectively decrease uh because your money is worth that much less now yeah that's what alex is saying so, as well um it's but basically inflation is perhaps a, a significant calculation right um, so yeah. it's a cost of living crisis. Everyone ha everyone needs to buy a bell pepper to make a, their, 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 their salad rice. That thing is now costing a, a more than a pound. Uh, you know, like what's going on? Um, so yeah, both, both six eggs cost three pound fifty. Like what's going on? Um, so all these things happen. Uh, therefore, and this has happened in the last 12 months, we ha had record inflation, cost of living crisis. Therefore, it's almost like a suboptimal time for employers to try and pressure uh, wages down and deflate it um, because basically um, uh, uh, the cost of everything has, has increased. Um, okay, listen, we're going to get some other folks on the on the screen. Before I let you three go, um, uh, let's touch on where we're at with um, generative AI and how that's impacted the job search on the candidate side and how it's impacted things on the recruiter side. Have you seen recruiters use any generative, generative uh, sort of uh, content at you? Um, if they have, how do you know? Um, have you used any uh, sort of generative AI to help you get into jobs or to increase your visibility or whatever? Again, open question to everybody here. Uh, I think I've seen one maybe LinkedIn post that looks like it first draft may have come from uh, generative AI. I think there's always, you, you, I think we're developing a sense of what it sort of smells like. If it's been generated, it's got a very sort of generic, rounded sense that seems a little bit too perfect almost. And it's the, it's the quirkiness that makes it authentic. But um, I'm, I'm still waiting to see like an outreach email that actually cites things from my profile as part of the outreach rather than just being, you've got great experience, can we talk kind of 
you, you should so that, not have said that. You there. should not. You should not have said that in a live stream watched by hundreds of recruiters. I. I expect my inbox now to explode with semi-custom automated emails. <laughs> so if anybody can see size email, go get it. No, um, but yeah, um, it, very interesting. So you're saying no. How about you two? Have you seen any evidence that recruiters are using generative AI in terms of outreach or anything like that? I um, I would say, I mean, generative AI. This is an incredible moment in time, isn't it? I've had Chat GPT open in a tab almost every day since it appeared and i use it almost every day for many different things i think one thing it's done for me even before chat gpt there was a certain kind of interaction with people which was just quite transactional and that's okay but i didn't always have the bandwidth to respond to all of that in a reasonably personal way so you know we've always had things like macros that we could use and i have like some kind of copy paste templates which i'll admit i've used replying to those emails sometimes and now I can do something a bit more tailored than that. So I will throw into ChatGPT uh, sections from my LinkedIn profile from my CV, a, an email message or a job ad, and say, you know, please write a response to this. And then I'll tailor it from there. And I can send back a better reply than I had the capacity to do beforehand. It would have been something a bit quicker, a bit more off the cuff, a bit less uh, tailored. So I think, you know, maybe reading between the lines a little here. Yes, maybe there's a risk that we're all gonna get a lot more messages which are less personal, but I think we had a lot of those anyway before. And actually I would argue the other way, I think it's letting me be a bit more personal and um, connect with people more fully in those transactional situations than I used to be able to. Yeah, very, very good, uh, Oli. And, and quite right, that's the, it's the speed uh, of, of getting uh, certain emails deserve a long response. Uh, it'd be like rude to just give a very short uh, response. Those are the emails that you never actually ever reply to because you want to respond to it. You, have, you want to have the time, you, you save it. And of course, another day goes by, it doesn't happen. You forget about it and you've done even the worst thing ever. So by, by simply failing to respond. Um, so I think maybe... Uh, a chat GPT can help you there. Um, okay, great. Um, Tank, on your side, any any investigation? I mean, a no's an okay answer, but what are your thoughts? Have you encountered anything that you smell out as saying, okay, that looks like it's pretty much uh, artificially uh, uh, generated? Uh, have you used any yourself or do you intend to use any? Uh, well, I have imagined that uh, all recruiter emails were generated for years. Uh, for <laughs> me, so I don't know. I don't... I don't want to. I don't want to use a tool like that. It's gonna make me look more eloquent and sociable, and I always think that's a red flag from a developer. Um, but I've I've used GPT uh, three, the Da Vinci for for some apps I'm working on. It's pretty amazing. But it's interesting how people are integrating it. You know, in their day to day, just just the 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 DUI of it. Uh, but I'd rather go through the API and make make things that scale with it. Yeah, listen, it's going to be a very exciting moment. I know developers are as excited as anybody else, obviously, with this technology. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how it will interact with the relationship that we have with developers, because I think it will be quite profound. I do believe recruiters will use it very aggressively um, because there, there's a need to try and get developers interested in their messaging. Uh, but I think developers also might respond with a countermeasure um, and, uh, and and to try and like as a filter away 
um so so yeah it's going to be fascinating to observe okay listen we're re really spring through this so let's um go ahead. possible uh, go ahead. yeah so, sorry i just want to really use this opportunity to ask the question uh so all of you mentioned that you return to the network to find the job or like uh the, like if you open to it uh what do you mean by network is it like your friends developers in other companies is it recruiter that you know uh like where is it this network i want to be part of it so that's why i'm very curious like where is that that you look into when you're looking for a job yes, i can speak to that it's people i trust and yeah that's recruiters that's engineers i've worked with that's hiring managers uh, anyone can fall into that category and I think like how do you build trust with me as a recruiter um, and you know I really appreciate the strain recruiters are under and the limits and the challenges at your end dealing with hiring managers who might not be clear what they want might be changing things on you I'm very understanding of that but the more you can be upfront with me about the things that are important to me and it's always the same things. I'm interested in what is the rate, what is the type of opportunity, if it's contract or not. So I often get those two kind of mixed up. Uh, I'm interested in what I'll be working with and what the project involves. So the more someone can say about that, or even if someone can say, I don't have those details yet, you know, I'm hoping to get them later, but you'll be, you're being real with me and you're winning trust with me. And you do that a few times and you're in. It's, it's that simple really. Yeah, I, I want to aim. <laughs> no, thank you, I mean, thank you. <laughs> what, what I'm hearing there from you, Ollie, is so, so it's, it's pretty much an informal network. We're not talking about a particular place. It's just a bunch of people you trust. Um, and I guess you might, everyone has that. I think everyone has that group, but perhaps at varying levels of organization, right? So um, have you got to the point, for instance, of putting your friends into a CRM? Is that weird to do? Um, uh, you know? Yeah, uh, yes, I think right. it is. <laughs> The, the yeah. look of disgust on Tank's face there. Jesus. But hey, listen, I think this is going to happen. This is where AI is going to help. You're going to end up ranking people and say, hey, who are the top 100 people I interact with in high sentiment and you know, lots of emojis? Oh, it's these people. No one okay. else was thinking uh, that. No one else was about <laughs> hey, to do that. This is a recruitment show, man. All recruiters think this way. Okay, listen, we have to let you go. Uh, guys, really nice to see you all. Let's catch up uh, uh, sort of uh, in a different manner. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Um, have a good day, Tank, Ollie, and Sai. Thank you, Hung. Thank you, you guys. Take care. Bye. Now. Uh, interesting. Thank you for the answers. It's really, really, really great to know how where developers go when they're looking for a job. Not definitely to the random recruiter, so that's for sure. No, but the trust networks, right? So if you have a high trust network or, you know, you've built some relationships with people, this should be what recruiters are good at. Um, then then that, that's where you're still going to get that intelligence that no one else is going to get. Uh, folks, we always do this, by the way, in the middle of every show, even though we're coming to the end, uh, towards the sort of end third of it. Um, we are going to take the opportunity to connect with as many of us as possible because um, we have to come off air at some point, folks. Um, but it's obviously this is a conversation that needs to continue. Uh, we want to make sure that Brain Food Live is a conversation starting topic not a conversation ending one. So what I need you all to do is to take a moment, grab your LinkedIn URL and just share it into the chat stream if you're watching this on Crowdcast and then connect with everyone who has done that. Um, worst case scenario is that you're going to end up having 
listened to this show and participated in this show and you've walked away with 20, 30 excellent contacts with who you could continue having that conversation. Um, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, please do the same. Uh, grab your LinkedIn URL, share it as a comment within the LinkedIn thread, and then to connect with everyone uh, who's done the same. Um, why not have a stronger network? In fact, one of the things that we should all spend a bit of time working on is improving uh, the quality and depth of the network that we have. Um, because if the external environment is in any way uh, looking ambiguous or strange, the stronger a network you have, the better it's going to be. Trust me, it's going to increase your uh, 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 it's going to increase your kind of opportunity surface area. If I can use that term. Um, right, let's get on with it. We're going to bring on some more guests. Uh, who have we got? We're going to bring on Alexi. Um, uh, let's bring on Alexi here. Uh, Ivan, you're coming on here as well. And of course, we're going to bring on Fabrizio. I can see Fabrizio there. So let's have a look at this from another perspective. Maybe we can look more on the permanent side, but we'll see. Hey. Cool. We have Alexi. How are you doing, Alexi? Good to see you. Hello. I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm very well. Um, Alex, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What did you do, sir? Yeah. Hey, I'm Alex. I am based in Amsterdam and I'm working for a small startup now. Um, basically, the startup is headquartered in Berlin and we are doing some fintech stuff. I am the head of API there. And before that, I was working for a payment giant here for six years. So I have some relevant experience in the industry. Fantastic. And we have Ivan here as well. Ivan, great to see you, sir. Uh, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? So I'm based in Switzerland and uh, I do tech recruitment for eight years now. And before that, I've been a developer, but I love the freedom of running an agency more than coding and being employed. So this is what I do right now. We also build recruiting tools and yeah, happy to be here. Great stuff. And nice to see you as well, Fabrizio. Uh, Fab, yeah. can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Nice to see you. Based in London. I Can you hear me? Can yes, go ahead. Yeah. Based in London, I'm uh, part of a company that's just over 200 employees. Uh, we have been hiring crazy in the last year and i've been part of most of this uh most of this conversation about Ari because i'm i'm chief engineer so um i'm i'm involved in all the hiring and we we're still strong going for hiring uh despite what had been said before so for us has been has been quite a good time to hire because a lot of kinds are available Yep, fantastic stuff. Uh, let's go straight there, folks. Um, we were speaking to the, the previous group of guys. They were all focused on contract market contractors or, or as well. Um, let's focus for our side on the full-time employment side. Um, what are we seeing from, let's see, the hiring point of view? So actually, Fab, you kicked us off there. You're operating as the, the most senior tech person in the company. So you're involved in hiring uh, uh, software engineers and have been for the last 12 months. Um, how would you assess uh, the, 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 the labor market for software developers um, over the past 12 months? The biggest problem is always that there's a lot of unqualified people that tend to think they are qualified. That's still the biggest problem. But because we operate in 19 countries, including Brazil, um, I think that gives us a good space, uh, a good a good edge to hire. We recently hire actually three people in Brazil, and I 
uh, out of 20 interview I did majority in Brazil. So I think that has been a market made available to us because of the layoff in US, I think. Also, we, we have, uh, we have, for other reason, we had to deal with uh, uh, the Ukrainian war in our company because we we had we started 2020 with 50 people in Ukraine, and now because the the asylum uh, acceptance uh, in Canada, US, and other countries, they're relocating, so they're moving on with their lives. So both both sides. So we we lost talents and we gained talents for for other reason. However. It, it it personally doesn't feel like uh, the layoff had a negative impact uh, in in the market and the people uh, we we don't have any hire we've never had any hire from uh, the, the big tech company and mm -hmm. to be frank the the level of people that we that we are maybe they will maybe they were not considering going for those jobs but it, if I have to, if I have to judge for what I see, we maybe we are a little bit better off than last year in terms of the quality of vacancy that comes in. Yeah, you know that's very interesting because um, when you have sort of reached one of these premium employers, um, you've worked for a Facebook, like the compensation has been historically so high. The, there's only certain types of companies that you would ever consider going to, and it would be a Google or it would be, you know, a company of similar size and scale. So there's an argument to say that these people who might be leaving those companies may not be able to achieve an equivalent job in the current marketplace. Therefore, they're not actually effectively contributing to the candidate pool. Uh, but in fact, what they may be doing is setting up their own businesses, launching their own startups. I absolutely assume there'll be loads of developers. If you're earning, you know, 300, 400K a year, whatever, as a, as a software engineer, you're coming into the market, you're not going to accept 200. Um, you know, you're going to say, screw it. I'm going to set up my own thing and see what, what I can do. So I think those people don't contribute to the market. There won't be the sort of sense of dispersal uh, into the wider market. But what might happen is that companies that are not in those big elite tiers might become more competitive and be able to capture attention of, of developers a little bit more easily because the, the volume of vacancies has decreased, uh, even though the volume of candidates hasn't decreased. That's just me spitballing uh, the idea out there. Um, Alex, go to you on this. You're in the Dutch market, maybe in the, 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 the German market also. Um, and you mentioned as a senior guy in the team, you've been looking at candidates as well. How have you looked, how has the market changed for you guys uh, with regards to permanent hiring over the last 12 months? Yeah, it's definitely changing. And you made very good points. Basically, there are more people with uh, experience and qualities who worked in big tech before. So basically now, they are like acting, they are spreading this knowledge and expertise to other companies, like uh, from uh, tiers below, or they start up their own businesses. And this is actually good because then I think this helps all these other companies to grow and to build more comprehensive technology and become more competitive as well. So, in that sense, uh, they fill in the roles and uh, that like, in the past they wouldn't probably consider. And this is good, but then this means that there are less open positions for other people, maybe less experience. So there is also a little bit of tension there. At the same time, it's much harder now to convince people to move from some established companies because they don't want to risk their position, especially if we want to 
uh, invite to a startup. So basically, it's uh, for many of them, it's high risk. So if they feel that the current position offers them a lot of security, they just prefer to stay. So, and uh, yeah, it just varies, I would say, depending on the market. And of course, in, in Europe, it's much more stable than in the US, at least what I see from the numbers. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, Ivan, go to you on this. Um, I guess you've always had that a situation where obviously you're working full time on the recruiter side, but you do, I think, have very much a developer mentality. You've never lost your uh, a sort of uh, uh, connection with uh, the community there. Um, in your conversations with uh, software engineers, uh, what, what sense are you getting about their confidence in the market? Um, are they are they feeling any kind of uh, uh, is it, is it different in any sensible way that you can see over the last four months? I mean, um, yeah, the situation I would say is a bit different than it was before. You get um, people who were making two hundred fifty thousand at Google Zurich, which is the biggest development Google office outside the U.S., and these people suddenly are okay to work for essentially half. And they are totally like relaxed in the call in the sense of I tell them the numbers that they can expect. And yeah, they are like, you know, willing to have the conversation and have the interviews, right? So, I mean, these are people who were laid off, obviously. And before the layoffs, I also talked to, yeah, big tech people who were scared to be laid off. So, like the, um, uh, feeling that big uh, companies are safe, um, I feel here is less uh, so, right? I, I a little bit see people actually going to government jobs, like, um, you know, government-funded universities or similar, where really you can say, okay, like, they have another mentality, right? So first, they have the money because, like, it's the government. They have, like, you know, <laughs> they, I guess, printed, I guess, I don't know. And... Um, uh, yeah, they uh, have the mentality who have, who, which is like, okay, we hire one person and uh, then it's good to not be hired 30 people. And then if the venture capitalists say, uh, stop spending money, we uh, fire 10 people, right? So um, I would say uh, some companies that are, let's say, below 200 people, um, they were in the, let's say, um, in a bad situation the last 10 years. They lost always talent to big tech, to cool, hip startups. And now I really tell them, hey, uh, I know you have like a little bit maybe of a boring product and a little bit not maybe the newest stack, but you are very attractive now because you are the ones who are not firing. You are the ones who actually keep their promises, which was always, hey, we hire you and then we keep you forever. Like we'll not let you go. And this value proposition was, was like unattractive in the last 10 years because like, hey, there's this other company where you get like free everything and giant salary and blah, blah, blah. And now you're let go. So sad. But like these companies that are more traditional, I work with them much more than um, yeah before, actually. So my uh, startup clients, they're really like mostly on hold. They really said, yeah, we would like to hire someone, but the investors say we stop everything. And I'm focusing more on traditional job profiles traditional companies in the last 12 months it has been also for me like a complete transition yeah so it was a, a paradise fantasy world in the last uh, decade i would say so now we come back to reality yeah very very interesting assessment um ivan um and very interesting to kind of get a gauge as to what the value proposition is of the the type of or, or employer you know 
Um, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, five years or so ago, uh, getting a government job was definitely not something most developers would be imagining as an ambition. Uh, I mean, maybe if a government was doing something spectacularly advanced, but we all know that that's you know generally not going to be the case. Uh, but perhaps it becomes like more attractive now for the security aspect. Uh, plus, also, I think the the, the startup, uh, you know, uh, the equities, the the value of equities, uh, I think has, has has been diminished in the minds of people um, because we've seen obviously companies collapse after raising like zillions. Uh, three months later, actually, the company's gone under. Um, then all of those things kind of would damage the the concept of oh, by the way, here's the salary, but here's the you know, your real comp is all these shares that actually may not be worth much so perhaps developers are also changing their view on that um what are your thoughts on this concept to have different types of employer become a little bit more uh, prominent and is, is it now their time um to really get aggressive in, in hiring developers there uh, what are your thoughts Allah, feel free to contribute your thoughts on this one um you know has there been an equalization as to what's cool i guess um, absolutely. I mean, I'm listening to what uh, the, the developers are sharing and also the conversation that we have in the chat. Um, it, it, it definitely looks like there is um, uh, more risk to go to the companies, to the big names, and the companies that are in the layoffs uh, list. That's for sure. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, a lot of companies that would like to hire these uh, talents, they can't afford it. So um, um, some people are okay to lower the standards, but uh, a lot of people they go i don't know like mortgage uh, they have some credits they have families and this kind of thing so it's still it's still a challenge for the other companies to grab this talent uh, to get them on board another thing that i also noticed that uh, remote um was uh, always a huge advantage for software engineers i think and so what is happening right now as well is that uh, people, um, uh, the companies who were predominantly hiring for remote, uh, they're getting much more candidates right now willing to reduce the uh, salary, but stay uh, connected uh, with the company in the remote side and maybe have an, in one year the permanent contract that gives some guarantees. That's what I saw on the market. That's interesting. What do you, what, what's that? Let's talk about remote a little bit. Um, Fabrizio, you're saying remote's really helped your business because uh, it's helped you tap into different markets, you know, particularly into, let's say, the Brazilian market, which, you know, maybe under under tapped, uh, uh, which, which is great stuff. Um, but we're also hearing about companies starting to say, come back to the office. Um, uh, and some of these are led by these big tech companies. Um, has, has the has the sense uh, how how resistant are uh, are developers uh, towards going back to the office uh, guys what are, you, what are your thoughts on this uh, are they considering it or is it still hey listen don't talk to me unless i can have remote anywhere if i can answer i yeah sure i think remote remote is a benefit that uh, majority developer wants i couldn't i couldn't fathom any of my any of my developers that will, will do otherwise um it has been has been helping us uh, immensely because without that we would have limited to central london because the, the investor was uh, a big promoter of the in-office culture and primarily for lack of trust in their in their uh, culture of the cultural investors i think you really need to try you need to, uh, to have a company with a high level of trust and um, our level of trust goes, goes both ways. So if 
if there's no more trust there's, a, there's only one way that you you're gone so there's no you need you need to you need to play that uh you need to know you have you have i trust you work in, uh, in brazil you work in in ukraine and tomorrow in portugal and we don't care we have a guy that travels uh we didn't even know we started from italy and uh, being italian then was in peru and then was in thailand and the quality keep on arriving the team is keeping happy and for us is all good but we know there's a trust point uh, you, you start not showing up or you start not uh, playing by the rules uh, you're out um i think that to us delivered more than uh, an office culture but oh, at the same time we don't have managers so we we have all our leader they do they do code and they and that that was a choice of the structure for proving proving they can lead the team they need to be able to help people in difficulties so we we don't have a single manager in that regards everyone everyone that has live management responsibility is actually splitting their time in 50 50 or maybe more into uh, doing the the core uh, activity whether that is coding or whether that is core QA or anything so maybe not by, by not having manager there's much more trust and you can have uh, this this um, the remote culture working if you don't have that maybe you want to see people and engage and monitor I don't know but for us it's working great that's you've introduced some controversy here for brazil which is exactly your personality by the way it's why you have a good value on the uh good value on, on these types of uh, exercises um but you're talking about the management the management tier actually affects whether the remote is a viable solution because if you're management heavy probably well what is the role of a manager you know you're managing performance quote unquote um and it's actually extremely difficult to do that if you are asynchronous from people, it's inherently a synchronized, a synchronous role. Um, so I wonder whether we're, we're kind of developing a new, a, a kind of a, a more nuanced understanding as to what works most in remote uh, organizations. And that's essentially a management light culture where most people are still operators in, in a significant degree. So that's, that's, that's a topic for another time because uh, we don't have a uh, sort of huge uh, amount of time to talk about it. But uh, uh, let's move on to you, uh, Ivan. Remote, how high is the demand for this? We talked about this more flexibility in salary. Is there now a little bit more, okay, great, I'll come into the office uh, type of attitude? Yeah, so like I would say 10% of people would really say, hey, five days again in the office, no problem, I can focus more uh 40% say yeah two three days is fine or like maybe one day or something like that and then how yeah or like like 50 40% would say maybe one day it's best so i see people you know and half of how like almost the other half would be like yeah three days max and stuff like that so it's like it's like really people like are very different right and uh, it's good that this is recorded uh, because I have a prediction uh, a little bit. So if there will be like a giant uh, crisis, um, really like, you know, 2008 type of thing, I think especially these people who live like, you know, one hour from London type of thing, um, they will come more often in because at the end of the day, the employer, they pay the money and they say, okay, show up. 
Yeah. And I see many Swiss companies still sticking to that. They still say, okay, I mean, we prefer that you are here four days a week, right? And they didn't change uh, a lot. Yeah. They had the COVID thing uh, mandated by the government. They did everything. But now it's kind of back, right? And I mean, you know all the big names who are like, hey, you come like five days, you know, Elon Musk and uh, all these people. I mean, they're not dumb people, right? Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, if things, because now we still live in like a good world, right? There's still like the stock market is like, okay, like there's food in the supermarket. Uh, so if something really bad happens, then like, it might get back again and then long term it might be something between what we have now and fully come back five days in a week yeah? so i think in 10 years we'll look back and maybe see the current situation somewhat of a like special case i don't know maybe this is my gut feel just you know yeah very interesting. i think the certain what are your what are your thoughts on where we're going to go with remote Allah? Um, i hope it's going to be think- different I'm listening and I'm like, oh no. I'm just I telling the wrong. reality. I, like, I see the reality. I just tell it how it is. I don't want to, like, you know, make up stuff that I don't see. So I just say all this. Uh, good it's recorded, uh, as you're saying. So I hope that your prediction is absolutely, like, not going to be the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I mean, someone on on uh, on uh, LinkedIn has just said, look, I'm in the office 60%. And I love it. I, I think basically there's some people are going to be very happy to be back in office, particularly younger people, I think, um, who um, we, all, we all know this already. Uh, early entry people definitely suit office more. Um, but it's people that have kind of um, become individual contributors and maybe have got enough to uh, kind of configure their own home environment in a, in a way that satisfies them. That, that becomes difficult to leave uh, once you've created that, uh, that, that situation. And of course, for parents with young kids, I think um, in most cases, uh, being sort of more proximate with their, uh, their family is useful. Getting away from dropping kids on and off and you know, causing that type of scenario, um, obviously, uh, obviously difficult. Um, uh, we're nearly over time a little bit, but I want to talk about younger developers. So far, we've talked about experience, both on the contract side. Typically, that's you know two, three years in before you even think about that. Uh, here, we're talking about experience also. Um, does the market look different to younger developers, people who just come on, no experience, maybe just out of university, maybe career changes in a boot camp have come through? Um, has has the current market been particularly harsh to that category of candidate? Um, Ali, you're nodding your head there. Why don't we go to you first? What, what are your opinions on this? It's just like, yeah, it's something that I have noticed recently in the uh, maybe last three months. Um, I'm receiving like on a daily basis messages from the junior engineers. It was not that often before. Um, and so most of them like, hey, I'm junior. I, I trouble to find any jobs. There are all the postings as senior. And I, I, I really like I was curious. I opened like LinkedIn and I posted like the junior jobs and I, like I just saw like three in the in amsterdam something like that for for the software engineers so basically um as uh, we also try to discuss it in the chat here uh that's uh, juniors of engineers they compete with uh, uh people who were laid off with a few years of experience um uh, or the senior software engineers and there is a little bit of less uh, trust from uh hiring managers for people who are freshly graduates from the courses so online courses um, uh, for developers are not that valued as you compare with the first graduates from the university. And this is the argument that is also like, you know, if you're a junior, 
if you just finish the course to find the job for you is going to be like a huge challenge if you graduate from the university maybe you will get the internship or something like that but still if the company is hiring but the market for for juniors i think is the harshest ever it's just what i see no well that's important um and it's interesting to know um because yeah maybe because what i'm reading from this in this entire conversation is that the entire market is not going to treat everyone the same way it's going to vary per region it's going to vary per level it's going to be very uh, contract type and so on um and yeah i can have, totally have my sympathies with this um uh, just go to you and your, your thoughts on this fabrizio um what about do you think the market is harder uh, particularly harder now uh, for uh, people who have got light experience. Um, what are your thoughts? It's a very difficult question. I, in one end, I would say yes. In one end, I would say no. I have personal experience where I know um, two two people have been hired by a friend of mine with his own startup, recently founded and launched. They hired uh, two people out of uni. He's they are extremely good. He's extremely happy. They are fairly cheap, so that's a happy story. Uh, on the other end, we don't hire juniors. We only had two from a program in Madagascar, which have been selected by um, a company in Madagascar, which provides bed and uh, IT infrastructure for them and training. I, I, uh, it looks like training because they are they are they hit the ground uh, uh, running. Uh, but apart from that my company we are such a heavy building phase rather than business as usual that we can't hire this position because there will there will be not enough easy tasks for them to do um that it, it also depends on the budget of the company and as per the conversation that we had before as well for the remote working some some company like us we we let go to huge offices one in central kiev one in central london because of budget so there's no more office to go back to so that would be another point and the same budget will impact the decision that you do because if you have if you have less of a budget you have to choose do i hire a person that gives me more guarantee that the task is going to get done or i use the same to hire two or three or two mid or three juniors maybe you i don't know different ceos thinks differently um it depends really on on whether we have more companies that are are looking to people as junior developer to train in order to make an investment for the future or if we have more of interest of succeeding as early as possible because that's the pressure of the industry you're in that's that is that is what will make it but regardless i think there's a enormous need for people in in tech enormous and that that also extends to project manager um designers so it's very vast amount of of uh, roles but i don't see that stopping anytime soon so in in a sense there's more opportunity it's just might not be on the famous companies might not be on but there, there are there are opportunities for people that can qualify to get it. For example, we 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 have uh, we have the same test before we were talking about test. We have the same test for any level. You submit the test and we we evaluate what you've done. 
I, I don't usually go and look at a CV to know that somebody is junior or senior. I go and look at the test that has been provided. Somebody reject, refused to do the test, and then the, we know the answer. Uh, it made our life easy. But there are there are people that we have hired in the past that they they thought they were almost not qualified for a job, and they did very well in the test, and we took them on board, and now they 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 proved themselves valuable. It really depends on the on the individuals. Something true is that you might not see advertised looking for junior developer. That's true. I think, but I'm not sure that is because people don't want to hire an inexperienced people or just because you, you, you I, I don't know. I don't know why is that, but there's need for people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'll hazard a guess. Um, by the way, we're running way over time, so we have to cut this short. But um, I hazard a guess. Basically, most companies, when they're recruiting, um, if they're a smallish business, they're going to have a crisis. A lot of recruiting is crisis-driven. Um, someone has left. Um, there's a problem here. Uh, someone's told them we need to build this real quick. Um, and therefore, it's not a strategic decision per se. It's like, I need a fix here. Uh, and that's typically someone with experience ready to go. That's classic scenario. Uh, this is the same in recruiting, by the way. You know, if we're recruiting recruiters, very rarely do you say, oh, let's have a, a junior recruiter. Everyone says, give me five years experience and we'll pay extra because uh, you, don't, you don't have the time or bandwidth or you feel you don't have time bandwidth to, to do your training. Um, it's only those bigger organizations that have a strategic hiring plan that can say, you know what, we have to think five, ten years down the line and grow the talent internally. Uh, that's how we kind of compete. Um, and those organizations tend to be of a different scale. Um, okay, listen, we have to close it off here, folks, because we are well, well over time. Um, I just want to thank everyone for joining. Thank you, Fabrizio. Thank you, Ivan. Um, I also want to uh, we'll say goodbye to you guys here. Um, I also want to say uh, sorry for people who are arriving a bit late. Um, not related at all. You were on time, but apparently the calendar went out uh, to a bunch of people uh, at 3 p.m. at BST. That's basically all tight daylight savings snafu. Um, so apologies for that. I hope that's okay. This is recorded, so you can go back and watch replay. Uh, in fact, you can press replay straight away after the show uh, is finished, and you'll be able to watch it and replay back. So, and I'll also, of course, uh, uh, take the audio out of this and put it into. Uh, the Recruiting Breakthrough podcast. Um, final word to you, Ala. What are your thoughts having had that conversation? Does it kind of like comport with the chats you're having with your, your husband? I guess it does, doesn't it? Um, you know. It's, um, uh, you know, it, it made me think about a few things. Uh, one of them is uh, that I wanted to quickly um, uh, actually ask the question in the question area <laughs> to recruiters. <laughs> I know there are no questions that I decided to ask one. Because the thing is, like, I, I shared that you um, lay off trackers. And this is something that I was discussing with my developers' friends as well. Like, um, there are lists of people who were laid off, right? And there are the in names, their locations, their uh, role and LinkedIn profile. And when we get this list, like we're like, oh, okay, so there's like a low hanging fruits, people who are open for a job. But then the developers who were laid off, they shared the experience that they were treated differently. They were treated like a second um, hand or like not the best candidates because apparently they were laid off and so they, they have a lot of questions from recruiters, like why? And like, or, like they felt like recruiters were very suspicious that they're really not good. That's why they were laid off. 
And this is actually what really bothers me. And I wanted to ask this question to Kura, of course, on the show. I'm watching the show like, hey, um, uh, it looks like you're very excited when you see the layoff uh, uh, list because these are the candidates that you can reach out. But at the same time, this is probably the list of the not great people. <laughs> so that's that's um, that's a really good question. Yeah, really good observation. Uh, have we have we not all seen those spreadsheet folks? You know, and it's a great innovation, the talent database thing. I think that first emerged during the first wave of of redundancies on uh, coronavirus when it first arrived. Uh, it's wonderful to see these like uh, databases be produced, um, but perhaps recruiters have been uh, are not taking due care, and we're saying, okay, this person's got to be desperate for work, or I'll just blast them an email. And uh, of course, that's like really negative. Um, bear in mind, someone who's been be made redundant. Uh, we've done a show on this before. We've done a number of shows on it already. Psychologically, you're in a really weird space. No matter how sort of mentally strong you are, wherever it is, uh, being made redundant. Um, can be very damaging can be very confusing uh you're mourning a loss of, of 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 your connections your friends even and all this type of stuff so yeah it's a highly sensitive and emotional state uh we as recruiters need to have enough eq to recognize that um and then be able to interact with the person with the right level of respect and right level of decorum um so even though they may be you know hot to trot candidates there and by the way recruiter's job is not to verify whether this person's like amazingly good at their job or not there should be a technical test um performed by someone who's qualified to do that or by a platform like code signal that can do that for you so i i wonder why a recruiter would even think that they could ask that question per se because what is the expected answer you know oh yeah i'm i'm, I'm terrible that's why they let me go you're never going to get that response are you um so why do you ask the question uh why will you let go um you know loads of redundancies are happening this is what's going on so um uh leave the assessment side uh really uh to uh, people who qualify to do it our job is to identify the person uh, understand their motivation get a sense as to whether they may fit um and then present the opportunity and see whether we can get them uh, into a further conversation okay that's about it um uh, thank you everyone for watching it's the record long show 80 minutes why not um thank you very much for your time Allah. wonderful to see you thank um you so hopefully we'll, we'll get you back obviously before um before we catch up in person in berlin um but uh but yeah um we'll, I'll, I'll be in touch on that but uh but yeah looking forward to doing this developers thing i'm not sure whether i've got any tasks to perform but uh uh but yeah i'm i'm excited for it it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a great uh, great conference it's going to be. Thank you so much, Han. Thank you, everyone, for your time. Wasn't that great, everybody? Hope you enjoyed. Oh, by the way, um, I didn't even talk about last week, next week. Next week, we're going to do Brain Food Live. However, it is Easter break. Um, so we assume that lots of people are going to be away on Friday because it's Good Friday. And it's also a long weekend, Easter Monday. Uh, so lots of people are taking time off, which you should. Therefore, we're going to move the show to Thursday, Thursday, 12 o'clock. Uh, we're going to make the, the kind of uh, uh, still it's a way in which you can uh, finish the weekend by watching the show. We're going to be talking about how you can use generative AI in recruitment marketing. Uh, so we've got a slight change of, of, of focus with generative AI. We're going to talk to recruitment marketing people, typically from recruitment tech, see how they are using um, uh, generative AI because they've got, I think we can learn a lot from those folks um, in terms of uh, outreach, content generation, uh, tracking, all those types of things. Make sure you sign up for that. 
Um, follow the channel if you want to get notified for it. Um, and I'll see you on Thursday next week. Thanks for watching, everybody.